Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes and open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. So over the Easter season, our worship series, our sermon series, has been engaging sacred rhythms of our lives of faith, different kinds of practices or habits that, that develop. And today we're going to talk about a theological idea that, is, that comes out of this scripture. It is the sermon title, In the World, Not of the World. And to start getting at this, I want to tell a story about when a fictional world collided with my real life. There was a time when I was in seminary, I think this was about 2008, 2009, and there was a Harry Potter movie that had just come out. It had taken America by storm. Everyone loved it. It was fascinating. And so when I went walking across campus of my seminary, right in the middle of the campus is what is called the quad. It is a large, about football size field of grass with with benches and you know you see students out there studying but on this particular day people were not studying they were running around in their geneva gowns like what i'm wearing now and instead of stoles they had different scarves of different colors and they were carrying brooms and i thought what on earth is going on not being one who is deeply versed in the Harry, Harry Potter world, I, it slowly dawned on me when I saw that they were hitting different playground balls with their brooms around as though they were playing a game of soccer. Now, if you are not familiar with the world and fiction of the Harry Potter novels, they were playing a sport from the books called Kidditch. Now, it's a magical sport that requires witches and wizards to fly around on brooms. It's kind of like aerial soccer in a way, except seminary students can't fly on brooms. So it looked a little bit silly. Now, in the Harry Potter novels, there are two worlds that exist simultaneously. There is the muggle world. That's the world that you all live in, and you just don't know it. The Muggle world is a non-magical world. It operates under all the rules that you and I know and are familiar with. But there's another world that simultaneously exists that we Muggles, non-magical persons, cannot access. It is a world of magic, a world of witches and wizards and potions and magical creatures like elves and dwarves and dragons and the, and the like. And in these two worlds, in the books, these two worlds seem to be at odds at, uh, with each other at times, especially when the magical world breaks into the muggle world. I mean, if we really saw a dragon flying down Jefferson Avenue, it would probably startle us. So the fictional novels speak of a code of ethics, of conduct that magical persons, witches, and wizards live by, a particular way of life, a particular way of being 
that represents good conduct so that they are sensitive to the needs of the muggle world, the non-magical world. And the world of magic seeks to support the needs of the non-magical world as they coexist together to improve the life of the whole world, even those who are non-magical. One might say, in thinking about the Harry Potter books and the way that the muggle world and the magical world coexist, one might say that witches and wizards, according to the novels, are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, there are different types of ways that we might look at the world that we live in. There are certainly, we could say there are muggle ways of seeing the world, there are magical ways of seeing a world, but we know that there are different types of values in the world that sometimes either bump into each other or coexist with each other. You might be familiar with some of these, Michigan and Michigan State, Republican and Democrat, American Coney Island or Lafayette Coney Island. And still we know that there are others. These are not just juxtapositions. We could throw other worldviews into the mix of these. We could say Ohio State, Green Party, National Coney Island. That's where I go. There are ways that we look at the world. We might say these are our worldviews. We often do. These are ways that we, ways of seeing the world that help us make sense of events in our lives and that are foundations for us that are grown over our entire lives. And there's many influences on these worldviews. There, there's family, and there are teachers, there's our educations, our careers and career choices. There's the culture around us or the culture that we are a part of. There's racial identity and ethics. There's politics and relationships, geography, age and stage of life, marriage, faith. There's many others that we could name that, that influence or are in relationship with our worldviews. We might say that each of these is a kind of lens that offers a way for us to understand the world. Each one offers us a way to be present in the world, in our understanding. And we probably don't live by a single one of them. We live by some combination of all of these, if not all of them together. But what worldview guides your way of interpreting the world around you? What is the primary way that you see and make sense of and understand what happens in life around you? We sometimes describe these ways like these lenses that we look through to make sense of things. We make sense of the world and our lives in it. So what lenses are used when we look at the world around us. 
Now, today's scripture puts us right in the middle of Jesus and the disciples. As Gill said, we are flies on the wall as Jesus prays a prayer of intercession for the disciples. And Jesus recognizes that there are different ways to understand one's relationship to God and to the world around us. Jesus understands how difficult it can be to make sense of the world that we live in and the way that we interact with it or the way that it interacts with us. In a way, reading this prayer, it shows an arc of this prayer that that actually echoes beyond those just in earshot of Jesus in the scripture. It's a prayer that echoes through time, even into our lives now. And in it, Jesus prays these words about God's people. And now I am no longer in the world, Jesus says, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Make them holy in truth. For your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now this theological phrase that I mentioned earlier, which is developed out of the scripture, it's the sermon title, In the World, Not of the World. And, and it sounds in a way like a proverb or an aphorism, that some, and some Christian communities use it as such use it as one, and I appreciate this idea because it is a way to understand how we are to live our lives as Christ's disciples. When Jesus prays that the disciples may be in the world and not of the world, he offers a foundation for how sacred lives can be lived, how how we can live as Christ's disciples. Now, the idea that a person of faith is in the world and not of the world is not a set of competing values with the world, per se. I think it's a mistake to put faith at odds with the world all the time. Certainly, there will be occasions, but faith, the way Jesus describes it, is a sacred way in which we engage the world that is rooted in resurrection. In the world, not of the world, means that the world does not define the faith of the disciples or the faith of the church. It means that the disciples turn to God in scripture, in commitment, in discernment, in prayer, in fellowship, in communion. The disciples turn to God for their own understanding of their faith and how we are to be in the world. One way to understand this is is if we go back to those lenses that we were talking about earlier, if we go back to those, we, we can ask if our faith defines how we look through those lenses that we might use to understand the world, or if instead we let our lenses define the way we live our faith in the world? Do we let our cultural values define the rhythms of our belief, or do we let our faith be the lens that defines 
why we value what is meaningful for us. Does our faith stand as the foundation for our understanding of our politics, our relationships, how we interpret our geography and our cultural identities, our education, and so on? Or do we let these things entirely define our faith for us? Certainly there are relationships between them, and and there's give and take. But do we make our faith adapt to these other lenses, or do we let our faith be the lens that helps us understand how we see the world? in the world, not of the world. Now, Pastor Will Willimon describes this saying that it is a determination to get the church accommodated to the gospel rather than the gospel to adapt to the status quo of the world. He continues the thought saying, the purpose of theological endeavor. Theological endeavor being the the kind of faithful thinking that we do when we study scripture, when we engage in worship, when we share life together. The purpose of theological endeavor is not to describe the world in terms that make sense, but rather to change lives, to be reformed in the light of the stunning assertions of the gospel. The work of being a disciple is not to make faith fit into the views that we meet in the world. Faith does not need to work hard to have a place in our modern world. Instead, throughout our lives, we do the sacred work of looking at the world and making sense of it from the context of our faith. Now, have you ever been somewhere where you did not fit in, or where you did not belong. And yet somehow you found something meaningful, something that resonated about the experience of wherever you were, those you were with, or the culture that you were experiencing, that it wasn't necessarily at odds, but from your faith you found a way to connect with it, even though it was coming from a different place than those who were around you. I think this is what part of what Jesus' prayer is about. Jesus wants the disciples and the church to live in the world without having to fit into it. Now, it's not necessarily necessary to be to withdraw from that world or to be in opposition of it, though there are times when we might be. But the prayer invites disciples to live life without compromising faith. I want to share one more story, and and then I'll give it a rest. I want to tell you about a time that I did not fit in. So there was this one time that I went to a Star Trek convention. Live long and prosper. I remember walking into the convention center to find so many people in full makeup as Klingons and Romulans and Vulcans, and there were, there were people who were dressed as Starfleet officers, and I never had this experience before, and, and so I turned to my friend who was the one who, who compelled me to go, and I said, wow, there are so many actors around who are a part of this. 
And he said, no, those are people like us. Those were people in attendance who put on the makeup and could, could be these characters from the show, and it was wonderful. It was extraordinary. It was full of imagination and life, and it was so interesting. But simultaneously, I was looking around going, I don't feel like I belong here. It felt like entering an entirely different world, as amazing as it was. But I started to go around to some of the different events at the convention, and there were opportunities to hear actors talk about what it was like to be on the show and offer their interpretations of different Star Trek storylines. And, and at the time, I was watching the Voyager series. This was a while ago. And I did not necessarily expect to hear at a Star Trek convention conversations about values. But when I began to listen to different Star Trek leaders from the Star Trek world talk about the stories and, and, and the imagination of, of this science fiction, I began to hear conversations about equality and diversity. And there were conversations about dignity of life. And there was conversation about the crews of Starfleet and their values of cooperation and humility and commitment. I began to hear humanist values around different parts of this convention. And even though Star Trek is not necessarily an embedded part of my life, I enjoy it. The movies are great. The TV show is excellent. If you haven't watched Discovery, it's fascinating. And there's probably little to no chance that you're going to find me donning a Star Trek uniform anytime soon, except maybe on Halloween. But when I began to think from the life of faith that I lived on the experience, I began to realize that there were places where I could connect with the values of the show. I could find rich conversations where my faith could be a lens that found meaning in conversation engaged with those humanist values that are expressed through the storylines of the Star Trek universe. Now, maybe I don't fit in, but maybe in a way I could. You might say, I guess, that I am in Star Trek, but not of Star Trek. You might think in the world, not of the world. So as the church lives its life in the world and maintains just enough distance to be of the world, it becomes, in a sense, the answer to Jesus' prayer. One of the extraordinary things about this prayer that Jesus makes, this prayer that Jesus says, interceding on our behalf before God, is that Jesus is asking God to empower the disciples to be the answer to Jesus's prayer. And so the work of the church, the ministry of the church and its people, is blessed to be God's communion 
to go from the space of worship out into the world to be in it. And the work of the church is blessed by God not just to adjust to the demands or or the politics or the expectations of the world around us. The church is called by its faith to go out into the world and serve our neighbors and to walk with them together. The church is called to share beauty with one another and with the world around us, participating in God's creation, whether that is through the arts, through the cultivation of gardens, or whether it's in the richness of the music that we make to glorify God. The church is called to be a fellowship that looks out for one another's needs, and there are times when we are at our most faithful and at our finest when we find ourselves opening that fellowship even to those who seem like strangers. When we as the church by faith enter into the world to be in it and stand firm in our faith in new life and resurrection, Easter begins to shape life around us, life around the church, that by the power of God's Spirit, those practices, those habits, these ministries of the church, by the work of the Holy Spirit among us, guide us to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. So as you go from worship this day, I pray that you may find yourself in the world, that you can find yourself in a faithful conversation with all that goes on around you, that your experiences may deepen your faith in Christ and your relationships with the community of faith. And may the Spirit guide you wherever you go. Amen.